Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. I mean, I've gone through you know, all sorts of different issues in my working career. I've made people redundant more times than I care to remember. But if you deal with issues in a kind, compassionate way, recognise success, but you challenge poor behaviour and you do it well, people will remember that. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Paul McPartland. Paul's the CEO of Places Leisure, a social enterprise specialising in the development and management of leisure facilities on behalf of local authorities. Paul joined Places Leisure in August 2020 at a very challenging time for the sector. Paul led the team to deliver the highest levels of safety and quality for both customers and staff. Paul joins us today to share his insight as a leader and human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Paul. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Amy. It's lovely uh, to finally speak to you. Absolutely. Same, same. I'm looking forward to this. So can you tell us a little bit about your organisation and what you're working towards, please? Absolutely. So Places Leisure is um, an organisation that sits under the umbrella for Places for People, which is a social enterprise. Um, Majority of the work that the main group does is around housing, especially in the affordable sector. And the Leisure Division uh, complements the social enterprise of... um, really trying to ensure that we can get people as active as possible, creating healthy people and healthy places. So we're primarily contracting with local authorities to deliver their leisure services. We do have uh, four standalone private gyms as well. Um, But our main focus is in the design, build, operate and manage for local authorities for the long term. Fantastic. So you will have, you'll have been through the mill in the last 18 months or so with the pandemic. It's been an incredibly challenging time, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we're not the only industry to suffer, but um, I, think, I think we worked out that we were closed for about nine months of 2020, on and off. And the, the stop-start, as you can imagine, is um, incredibly challenging. One thing I didn't think I'd, I'd ever say is we've become pretty impressively masterful at opening and closing facilities and hope that uh, that's a skill that we don't have to use again for some considerable time but yeah. um despite that despite that the uh, the that positivity from both within the sector and the support that we've had from from local authorities the support that we've had uh, from dcms and sport england has ensured that that we've come out of the back end of it that we've uh, been fully operational now since april all of the restrictions lifted on the 19th of July and um, it's very positive it's very positive out there at the moment there's there's lots and lots of pent-up demand there's lots of people that want to get back into a routine uh, for using leisure so um, as dark as it has been over the last 18 months it's uh, it's an awful lot brighter now Good. Glad to hear it. And so beyond those challenges, as the leader of, of that type of organisation, that size of organisation, what kind of challenges are you up against beyond the, the pandemic and the pandemic? I think in any organisation of, of our size, and when we entered into the pandemic, we were a workforce of just over 9,000 employees, mm-hmm. um, at full-time, part-time, casual. Yeah. And we're now, we're now a workforce of just just north of 6,000, 6,123, I think at last count. So we've shrunk, we shrunk by a third 
Um, and that's that's clearly challenging. Some of those are compulsory, some of those um, just natural uh, movement. So trying to stay in touch with your workforce and um, communicate a positive outlook, but at the same time recognising that you probably will have to take some really tough decisions to both navigate the pandemic, but also to reflect just a change in the way that we work now and a change in the way that customers are going to use our facilities is um, is really challenging. And finding the right methods to communicate with the team and ensuring that those messages get through in an unfiltered way and in a way in which um, authenticity and integrity and honesty and transparency are are as clear as they can possibly be. That's 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 really tough for us at the moment. Um, but I think we're, we've just um, got the results of a big survey that we did within uh, the wider group, and um, it looks like we're 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 doing okay on that front. But I think that's probably something as a leader that you're always very aware of. How do I ensure that I get across the right messages at the right time in the right way? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay, brilliant. And so in terms of your leadership role then, how can you talk to us a little bit about your career and how that happened? Was it quite an organic process that you, you ended up being the chief executive or was that always by design? Was that where you were headed from the start? <laughs> um, I don't think it was, it was ever where I thought I would get to at the start. Um, I, mean, I started my career um, unexpectedly at 18 I was planning on going to university and um, I found out that my my then girlfriend my now uh, wife of 32 years was pregnant and I was going to be a dad and um, so I wasn't going to uni I was going to get off my ass and get a job uh, as my father told me um, so um, no I, I, I started in an unexpected way and um, I was a keen sportsman at the time so leisure seemed to be a great yeah. a great industry to start in i started at the bottom um did every every conceivable job you can imagine lifeguard swimming teacher toilet cleaner bouncer all of all of the jobs that you do in leisure um and then uh, worked through both uh, public and private leisure for for many years um ended up working for whitbread for about six and a half years um really really good organization and an opportunity to work across a number of uh, different brands, uh, both in the leisure sector, but also in the uh, hotel and restaurant sector. Um, and then I had a chance to uh, switch into a different sector and I went to work in healthcare for a period of time. And that's where uh, the majority of my career really was spent. So I loved I loved leisure, um, but I felt at the time I'd probably gone as far as I wanted to go within leisure and healthcare provided a different opportunity to to bring all of the hospitality, customer service, skills, and uh, quality delivery that I'd experienced in leisure into the healthcare division, which at the time was just at the front end of the choice agenda. So healthcare very much used to be uh, do as you're told, go where you're told, um, and be treated as you're told. And and it wasn't until uh, the late 90s, early 2000s that uh, uh, the choice agenda came into play. And so I joined healthcare at an incredible opportunity really to uh, bring a lot of transferable skills across from from the hospitality and leisure sector um and i loved it i loved the complexity of it um but but really enjoyed making a huge difference and uh, seeing the results of uh, 
of where you could really lead teams to um, to literally save lives. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, absolutely love that. And then an opportunity came up um, kind of partway through the pandemic to um, to lead this organisation as CEO. And um, so many people have told me during my career, you know, even if you don't think you're ready for something, if it comes up, you should you should grab it with both hands. And, and I did. And, uh, I mean, we, yeah, it's been incredibly tough, but... Um, uh, we're having a great time as well and I'm surrounded by some incredibly talented people who have a passion for delivering the best that they can both for their colleagues but also for the customers in front of them and um, when you work with people like that sometimes it's it's more of a pleasure than than a challenge yeah absolutely so it's quite an organic process then for you to become chief executive yeah yeah very much so i mean i think i've I've probably earned the stripes over the years and i think you know you always have have that challenge of am i ready what does it mean um and but i've done a lot of uh, senior operational roles i've had exposure to um to both um uh, private equity as well as uh, charitable organizations and Mm. and big plcs as well so so i felt that i had the exposure that I needed, but but um, there's there's always that big difference from being a number two or a number three to stepping into those shoes and the the acute recognition of the responsibility that comes from yeah. leading a fair size organisation um, and you know take out the fact that we were going through a pandemic, but just literally being responsible for the for the livelihoods of, of six or seven thousand people um is a huge responsibility and and yet yeah i felt i was ready for it and um i'd like to think well i've been there a year and they haven't kicked me out yet so i must be doing something right absolutely absolutely and are there in your mind are there key characteristics that that all great leaders should have or how would you define a good leader i think yeah, most people take uh, very different paths to becoming that leader and, and I don't think there's one defined path that you need to take I think you know, some people have great operational experience which gives them an insight into the roles that their uh, staff are doing um, and that's great but that's not always necessary for every industry mm-hmm. uh, but I think a level of authenticity and honesty and transparency really really key I think people need to to believe that that what you're saying is true they need to uh, believe that you're being straight and honest with them. And that's not that you can tell them everything all of the time, but, but that you, um, you're not playing any kind of political game. And um, trying to stay connected, trying to stay very much in touch uh, with the workforce that you're leading, I think is really key. Um, and then equally as well, when you do step into the CEO shoes, it's a recognition that you can't be involved in everything. You can't be the guy that fixes everything and you can't take decisions on everything and you've got to really pick um all of the skills that you have in terms of delegation and allowing people to uh, to crack on with the job that you employ them to do mm-hmm. even even if sometimes you think oh, if i'd stepped in a bit earlier we could have fixed that because um that's not your job anymore um and your job then is to be the the catalyst or the ladder for other people to come up uh, the rungs to be the next leaders. So um, I think that's, that's uh, for me, one of the key requirements of, of being a leader is just that level of integrity and authenticity. Um, if it's not there, then you can genuinely spot it a mile away and people then won't, they won't work, 
walk over hot coals for you or they won't go the extra mile. Um, but if you've got that, then you can really lead a really, a really strong uh, workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And was there a piece of advice or an experience uh, back in your career that sort of shaped your leadership style? Or, or somebody that gave you a piece of advice that helped you with your leadership style? I think most of us will remember the first person that led us. Um, and, and certainly I remember my first line manager when I was uh, 17, 18, and, you know, in a slightly confused state of about just about to become a dad and at the same time thinking, you know, I'm starting my career in the world of work. And I had a fantastic uh, manager, a guy called Mike Birch, who was a real old school leisure manager, um, you know, the badges and the tie pins and really, I'm sure, I'm sure he came from a military background, but he was, he was fantastic in just coaching and getting the best out of people around him. Um, and the level of respect that he had because of that, he worked hard, um, his standards never slipped and he just gave um, a level of authority, which which people looked up to. So I remember him really, really early days and, and always thought, you know, when I become a manager, I want to be, I want to be as good as he was, yeah. whether I achieve that. I don't know. That's for other people to say, but I think, um, genuinely the, the really strong leaders that I've worked for have had an intuition and an understanding and a level of knowledge around the detail of the business mm -hmm. that just left me in awe. Um, so the, the ability to, to delegate and to pass off uh, decisions to other people is really key, but also the ability to probably know twice as much as they know about the decision they're about to take was also really key. So the devil in the detail, um, certainly anybody that works in retail will know this, the devil in the detail, it's detail, detail, detail. So mm -hmm. the ability to, to really um, unpick a problem and understand all of all of the working component parts of it, I think is absolutely key as well. And that's been uh, sound advice all the way through uh, my business career. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of someone following in your footsteps and coming up that, um, that, that ladder, as you referenced, what's one piece of advice that you would offer to someone that was either looking to follow in your footsteps right at the start of their career, but hoping to become a leader one day or just about to take a step up into that leadership role? I think probably one of, one of the key pieces of advice I'd offer today, and it's not not because it's a strap line that's being used today, but is to be kind. Mm. Um, I think you can be an incredibly strong leader, but be a good human being and a kind human being at the same time. And um, I mean, I've gone through you know all sorts of different issues in my working career. I've made people redundant more times than I care to remember. Um, but if you do it in a in a kind, compassionate way, if you if you deal with issues in a kind, compassionate way, that you recognise success, but you challenge poor behaviour and you do it well, people will remember that. They will remember you. They'll remember the conversations they had. Um, I've certainly had many, many people that have I've moved on either through a redundancy situation or through a, a work uh, capability situation that have come back years later and thanked me for the way that I've done it. And yeah. so I think that that ability to lead with compassion and lead with kindness and um and and not think that you're any better than anybody else people will remember that and it's you know sometimes the slippery slope to get up it's a it's definitely a slippery slope when you're at the top and you're coming back down again um and uh, i think really important that people remember 
that you managed and led them with compassion and kindness rather than in any kind of old school way of uh, of doing it differently yeah and i think that speaks to the authenticity piece that you spoke about earlier because if people know where you're coming from and and you have that transparency and that authenticity then people can you know see that you're you're doing it for the right reasons or it's for the best needs of the business and so i think that the be kind mantra is absolutely now more so than ever coming out off the back of the pandemic. yeah and i think i think a level of consistency some of the best leaders i've worked for you you knew how they worked and how they ticked and you never I mean, there were challenging days, but you never you never saw highs and lows. You never saw a really good day or a really, really bad day or, or don't talk to them on this day because you won't get this. Yeah. Um, nothing worse than that sort of slightly um, unpredictable behaviour from a leader. I think people want consistency. Yeah, they want transparency, authenticity, kindness, compassion, but they want consistency. They want to know that that's not just a facade for for when we're doing okay they want to know that when everybody's got their backs against the wall that that same level of consistency is is still apparent i think i think that's really key as well and sometimes that's really difficult to come home kick the wall and you can't kick the cat i haven't got a cat but i wouldn't kick a cat but you, you've got to find ways of of managing your outlet of yeah. of challenge but 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 making sure that your team see a level of consistency which allows them then to flourish yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And is there a leader, past or present, that you most admire? And if so, who and why? There's a guy called James Timpson, who is the chief exec of Timpson's. And, and he's uh, it's been a family-owned firm now for many, many years, probably 100 years or so. Um, and he writes regularly, actually, in Sunday Times. He writes a really good article. But um, I've read a couple of the books that he's written and also just, just listen intently to him on social media he's he's an incredible guy because he he um he absolutely sees where that business is going they've had to morph and change the way that they work uh, technology has changed some of the income streams that they've had that was they managed through the pandemic they absolutely looked after their mm. uh, workforce during the pandemic um and i think he just strikes me as the epitome really of of the authentic leader that that I aspire to be, but also um, that I think so much more of industry and I'd probably argue politics desperately needs at the moment. Um, And you talk to people within the Timpson business and they employ many, many thousands of people. Um, And it it is seen as an incredible place. They give people starts, they employ people from prison, they are... They are a fantastic employer and and yet they've got a sound business model to back it up. So uh, one of one of the reasons I joined places was was for the the real social enterprise that it is intending to drive. And I think you can run an incredibly successful business that does make profit. This idea that you are not for profit, I think, is a, a false uh, legacy essentially. Um, you need to make a profit but how you use that profit and how you reinvest that profit into good yeah. is really key. So, uh, yeah, James Timpson would be up there um, on the pedestal for me. Brilliant. Thank you. And so what's next for places over the next six to 12 months? So certainly in the next six months is is still really stabilising the business. We we went through some really tough times last year. There were some some points in early, early 21 where uh, uh, there were question marks over whether we would – 
continue to be a valid business. So we, we, we've got to rebalance the books. We've got to get ourselves back on an even keel to get, to get through the rest of this particular calendar year, but also to get to the end of March, which is our financial year, um, at least in a break-even state, if not with a very, very small surplus, which then I think gives us a great opportunity for growth. We've got to show the rest of the group mm-hmm. that we can stand on our own two feet. Um, they've been a huge support for us over the last year, but we can't be a burden on on the delivery of of um, of the overall uh, return targets that the group are making. Mm-hmm. But I think we we want to see um, long term relationships with our local authority partners. I think we've just opened a model in Camberley, which is a twenty four million pound uh, leisure facility in partnership with Surrey Heath uh, Borough Council. That it that is a model that I think um, other parts of the country can come and look at and uh, see that it's that it's a great opportunity to get people more active in their community, but also provide a fantastic leisure facility that would rival any private facility anywhere in the UK. So we want to build more of those. We want to design, build, operate more of those. But we also want to look at um, how we can enter more of the healthcare space and certainly one of the reasons I came across from from a healthcare background is to recognize that if we can uh, get involved in a bit more of that pathway so not just about keeping people active but prevention um, we're absolutely prepared to contract on an outcome-based model so moving towards where healthcare is essentially in the leisure sector so rather than just open the doors and get people in we we really want to be saying to local authorities well look you know we we think we can help you reduce obesity in this cohort of your local population um and we're brave enough to say that you only need to pay us on the outcomes that we deliver so we think that 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 model of of um uh, patient recorded outcomes or customer recorded outcomes and uh, payment by results is one that that is a space that we want to be in um but i think first and foremost the next uh, six to 12 months are about stabilizing the business mm-hmm. uh, retaining as many of the existing contracts as we currently have really being quite picky about any new ones that we go and bid for and then looking at, at more not necessarily bricks and mortar but looking at how we can expand our footprint into the wellness and healthcare space uh using these existing facilities that we've got fantastic Brilliant. Well, I look forward to keeping up with that. But if if there is anything, if you know, if people want to get in touch and understand where your premises are, is there a, a website that people can obviously they can Google you? But is it as simple as just logging onto a website and seeing where their nearest site is? Yeah, I mean, the Places Leisure website is 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 easy to navigate around. It shows all of the contracts that we run, the locations of the facilities that we have. And then Places for People Group is, has got a wider website, which tells a bit more about, about what the group does. Um, and I think people are quite surprised just just uh, what the wider group is involved in. Um, they have an assisted living uh, division as well as that building student accommodation and, and retirement homes. So um, there's, there's lots, going in, lots going on with the wider group. And uh, we're, we're really keen to, to ensure that we support their growth by delivering the uh, social investment and the social return on value that we can from from the leisure estate. So, uh, um, yeah, and each of our individual sites has their own uh, Facebook page and Instagram page. So we're 
embracing the the new world of social media as best we can. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for that, Paul. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and learning a bit more about your journey. So thank you for making the time. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Amy.